0: hello my guys my gals and my non-binary pals welcome along to a brand new episode of the peter greenwood show at the edinburgh fringe 2021 we're wrapping up here soon but on today's episode i am bringing you a bunch of brand new interviews and we are starting with melissa center and marrying jake gyllenhaal take a listen can i stop asking your name and what you do please
1: uh hi i'm melissa center I am an actor and writer and filmmaker and creator of a show currently streaming at the Edinburgh Fringe.
0: You must have been asked this a thousand and one times, and yeah. I apologize for being a basic bitch interviewer. Marrying Jake Gyllenhaal? Yes. <laughs> e- explain, please.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, my, my show at, uh, streaming at the Fringe is called Marrying Jake Gyllenhaal. It is a solo play with original music based on my life. Um, and it, it, it all starts because my uh, my Jewish mom, God bless her, uh, got some idea in her head that he's my soulmate. Like legit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay.
1: And um, so this was a, a, a few years back and she just started to send me articles about him, you know, most eligible Jewish, half-Jewish bachelor, you know, he's wanting to settle down and have kids, admires his sister, Maggie. Every week, I would say, I would get a piece of mail or an email or something related (laughs) to Jake and it just wouldn't stop. And (laughs) And at first I was like, all right, mom, like, what is this, right? And stop. <laughs> <laughs> what but is then... this? And
0: stop. That sounds and... like two ways to do with moms.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What
0: is this? And stop.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, as I was going about in my life, whether it was just like in personal or in work, I would have these weird one degree away of connection to him, like everywhere. So I would be in conversation, and he would come up or. I was at a party and my, my friend who was hosting knows, Iris is my mom, knows like her, you know, quirk around Mr. Gyllenhaal. And I would be, you know, giving her the update. And then another person, our mutual friend was like, oh, he's dating my, my best friend's boss. And he would just like come into my space again and again and again. I was, um, and this is a little like scenelet in the show, I was hired on an episode of Masters of Sex. It was a show on Showtime. Oh,
0: yes. Um, I, yeah. I remember that show.
1: Yeah. And uh, I was, happened to be in the green room and, uh, you know, was fortunate to be in a scene with Sarah Silverman and Annalie Ashford. And we, they were so lovely and we were just That's striking conversation. Cool. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. Um, And Annalie was talking about a show that she was starting rehearsals for in New York. And having lived in New York for eight years, I got really excited. And I was like, oh, what show are you working on? And she was like, oh, Sunday in the Park with George. With Jake Gyllenhaal. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, what? And so, you know, this just, I think the connective tissue of it in my brain made me think like, there's something to this, right? Like whether I'm supposed to meet him at some point or I don't know, Mm -hmm. this is, there's too much from the universe telling me that this is a thing that has to turn into something. And so I started, I just, I started to write about it. And kind of one thing led to another and uh, it turned it like, I initially had, had had written a rom-com version of this story in a writing class and set it aside so I can work on projects that were a bit more like producible at the, at the time. And then a girlfriend of mine invited me to a writer's group and I didn't know what I was going to be working on. I had just come off of producing a couple projects and I had been reflecting on like just my spirits and what I had been creating up until that point. And it, it was all kind of like kind of dark or, sad or heavy from just you know some stuff I had been through and and I just I thought it's time and it just started to pour out of me and in the form of a play which I wasn't necessarily expecting and then suddenly I was like hearing rap songs and like I'm like oh shit this is there's music in here (laughs) and it turned into this like solo whirlwind journey of um you know, this pursuit of this idea of Jake Gyllenhaal coupled with my experiences, you know, as a single woman in Los Angeles, trying to search for meaning and fulfillment and, you know, coming up against this uh, this, this bizarre fantasy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's, uh, that's fascinating. And there's so much I want to know. I want to know more. Like, I want you to sit here and tell me the whole story, but we've only got so much time. <laughs> uh- So how did you decide this is something I'm going to put together and submit to the Edinburgh Fringe? And was it always going to be Jake Gyllenhaal, the name attached? Could it have been like John Malkovich or Tom Cruise or somebody like that?
1: It had to be Jake Gyllenhaal. It had to be Jake Gyllenhaal because this was like in my ether and... I like give full credit to my mom because she planted this like evil seed in my brain. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I, so I, I, what happened was I didn't know if this was going to be any good or anything. And that, that first day I, 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 I wrote, um, you know, a few pages, read it out loud and the, my colleagues were like, um, this is hilarious. And I want to see this play. I'm like, Oh really? Okay. You know, it's, when you're creating something, you have no gauge, yeah. you know, you're like, this could be shit. I don't know. But I, I, so it gave me encouragement to keep going. And um, I wrote a draft and um, I, you know, the, the, the support was strong. And then I, I happened to be uh, attending this event through seed and spark, which is a crowdsourcing platform. <clears throat> They were, they're very, very supportive of, um, filmmakers and they put on this whole conference, the creative sustainability conference. And I'm not sure if you know who Mark Duplass is, but yes. Oh, I know the name.
0: Why do I know the name Mark Duplass?
1: So he's pretty famous as an actor and indie filmmaker. He came up with his brother, um, Jay. Uh, the Duplass brothers—they made the Puffy Chair, which is like a big Sundance hit—and they've been extremely successful mm-hmm. both as creators. And he, um, hes on the Morning Show. The, the show oh, on Apple. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, he, hes very successful and, you know, uber supportive. Anyways, he—the main event of this conference was three filmmakers were going to be able to, uh, were selected to pitch concepts to Mark and he was going to help the filmmakers hatch their projects. So you had to uh, submit something in advance. And I I didn't know what to submit because film wise, I I wasn't really working on anything new. I had a episodic script that I was like, well, um, I guess I'll just submit the log line for this, knowing that uh, Mark is very vocal about his relationship with anxiety and depression. And there was a lot of through line there with the story. And so I thought maybe I could seek his advice. I don't know. But I wasn't even, I like submitted it so last minute and then forgot about it. And then the day of the conference, um, it, it kind of was like the end event of the thing. And, and they were starting to announce the filmmakers. I assumed that uh, they notified the filmmakers in advance who were selected because they were going to have to pitch on stage. Um, and they called my name and I was like, oh shit. Like it was a room <laughs> full of 500 people and I, I, I hadn't revisited this. Series and so long. I'm like, I don't even know if I remember what it's about. Uh, I, I I pitched second, so I had time to collect my thoughts, and I shared the concept of it. And I was like, I have to be honest, I'm very resistant to even working on this right now. And Mark said, Okay, um, I I see that, and I could I could tell that he was really clocking me. And he said, Is there anything that you want to be working on? And so I just really off the cuff, I was like, ah, You know, I happen to be writing this play, and then I went into the 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 concepts. I'm like, I said to the audience, you know, my mom has this obsession. I'm supposed to marry Jake Hall. and the whole place cracks up and he's like, tell me more. <laughs> and so then I went into the, you know, the underbelly of it and the themes and, and the, really the vulnerability behind the story. And he like leapt off his chair and he w- he was giving me ideas and he really planted the um, concept of my mind that I should film the film it. And so, um, we talked strategy on stage and I said, you know, I feel like given this is a new work, it makes sense to plug into like a fringe festival. I also had found out that, um, Jake was supposed to do a remount of Sunday in the park with George on the West end that coincided with the fringe last in 2020. So I'm like, this is perfect. So I, I thought I'll, I'll, I'll submit my show to the fringe, you know, Jake's show is playing. Maybe I can go see it. I have, a, I have a connection with Anna Lee. Maybe there's some way that he could see my show. Like I had this whole thing planned. Yeah. It was epic. I'm like, you got to go big or go home, right? And there was so much um, just positive support and excitement around the concept, around this uh, idea. Um, and so it just made complete sense to me. And then COVID happened.
0: Yeah. 2020 made 2020 us all happened. go. 2020 so- went big and made us all go home.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They're like, I know you wanted to go big. Fucking go home. Um, <laughs> you're staying home. Yeah. So I had to really pivot. But thanks to Mark, I was like, I had this, you know, direction essentially of like, well, I, I knew I wanted to film this thing anyways. Can I do this safely? How do I do this? So the, the crowdfund became Um, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna raise funds to not only film the show, but live stream it to bring theater to an audience who was very hungry and isolated at the time. And then knowing that I'd have a, you know, kind of product at the end of it that I could do whatever pitch with or plug into something. And that was extremely successful. Um, And it was just like, a dose of oxygen for myself and for the audience, we got a wonderful response to the show. And so I'm like, okay, this doesn't suck, right? Like I have something that I feel like is tapping into the psyche of a lot of people and should have a life. And so then when I, uh, then the question was like, how do I move forward from this? And when I found out that Fringe was accepting, um, you know, submission digital, like they were programming digitally, I was like, this is the natural next step for the show. And it's kind of a full circle moment um and it you know wasn't going to be necessarily realistic for me to bring it live in person still the covid situation was yes. a question mark and coming internationally that's just you know it was too much uncertainty for me to be like i'm going to bring it in person so
0: yeah definitely there was a lot to consider like
1: next, yeah this felt like what like a gift right like the next best thing and it makes the show accessible to really an international audience which is very exciting yeah that's long story short
0: (laughs) and what has the reaction been like to the story and again basic bitch interviewer have you heard from mr gyllenhaal
1: i haven't everyone wants to know i'm so curious like what he knows of this thing
0: he must have at least heard the name he must have done by now
1: i would think by now I mean, particularly, I, um, I'm not sure if you ha- you saw, but this like incredible article was written about it in Ms. Magazine.
0: Yes, I saw you. I think I saw yeah. you post about that.
1: Yeah, which, you know, is like, has such a wide reach. So I'm like, if anything, Maggie has to have seen it. Like- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I've not heard a peep. I'm not sure. I know he's a very private person and... Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm so curious, like at what point I'll either hear from him or people connected to his camp and, or like have an actual run in with him, Yeah. (laughs) whether here in New York, you know,
0: I'm, (laughs) I, uh, I'm trying to think of a way that I can orchestrate this to happen with this show. I want (laughs) to send this interview and this podcast and this show as wide as we can, just so we can get to Jake.
1: The thing is, and it's so amazing, like I feel there are a lot of um uh people like you who want this to happen, you know? <laughs> and so of like, I have, you know, I have people kind of working in the ether to orchestrate some sort of like get him to watch it. I'll yeah. say, and I don't want to like have any spoilers or anything, but ultimately the show like is not about Jake, you yeah. know, it's like kind of this this pursuit of this idea of him, but it it allows me to illuminate I think aspects of my journey and myself uh in in a in a special way um so yeah I I don't know I I'm very curious like what he would think about it
0: that's something I kind of wanted to ask ask you about taking it away from the Jake of it all is that you said you started writing it during what was kind of a a not good period for you and I don't want to spoil it or anything but What was it like putting that out into the world?
1: This show is so deeply personal. Um, And in a way, it's funny because one of my, uh, my like producing partner and one of my dearest friends, she's like, you're like the Taylor Swift of indie films, because (laughs) my content has tended to really, um, you know, material materialize. Um, personal experiences, particularly like relational, personal experiences. And uh, so I had, I had come off uh, several years ago, I made a feature film called All I Want that was really uh, breaking down a the breakup of a 10 year relationship that I had and kind of digging into that concept.
0: I think I may have seen, sorry, I'm waving around a, a back scratcher. Sorry, I just I grabbed have, something just on the desk. Fork. Hello, tiny <laughs> I, that does sound familiar. I feel like I may have seen that long ago.
1: It, it's quite possible. I think it came. So it's on like Prime and the streamers. Yeah. And um, it was released. I want to say like 2018. Not
0: 2017, familiar.
1: 2018. So it's, it's my hair world. is more more short. I have yeah. I have like a pixie cut in that movie. Um, but that was the first time that I was like, like really opening up my heart yeah. to you know personal issues. Now that's an ensemble piece. So some of those threads are really like, we woven into other characters experiences. And it was a very, it was very collaborative in that way. This one is like very, uh, you know, kind of like takes it even further. So sharing the the story, it, it, it continues to be like kind of scary to me. I think particularly when sharing with people who I know uh, or who know me, or even like industry relationships who know me, because I'm like, you're going to learn so, so much about my story that I'm like, uh, you know, it it contains parts that are like scary for me or, or really like vulnerable or, um, you know, the like nooks and crannies that you don't necessarily want people to see all the time. But I yeah. also feel that that's our responsibility as artists to... You know reveal those things in a in a specific container, right? In a safe container. Um, I'll, I'll add, you know, in this particular show, there is a there is a blurry line between fantasy and reality and what occurred and what has been imagined in my mind. So the audience doesn't necessarily know, you know, what is what actually happened and what is um, what is fabricated. Yeah, which I think then helps. I mean, my personal cause, right? (laughs) Because a lot of people were like, did that actually happen? And I'm like, you'll never know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to ask a little bit about the show. When you imagined it, when you first imagined it and started putting it together and you said it was a play. Yeah. How did that change from being a live thing in front of an audience to being a, a recorded piece with assumably no audience? Or was it recorded in front of an audience?
1: It was so. It was recorded in in front of a digital audience. I had yeah. no audience in the in the actual space, but I knew that they were watching me. Um, it was filmed inside a theater, uh, the Pico in Los Angeles, with a full set.
0: I've heard of the Pico. Yeah, I know, it, but lovely, I can't think why.
1: It's a wonderful space, actually. And um, Micah, who's the um oversees it, is like the best and just gave me the biggest gift in, in saying that you would come in and use it. Um, so it was, you know, it was a full-on production, just no one in the audience
0: yeah. in
1: front of me. So it was trippy. Um I had to really be cognizant that I was speaking to humans, you know, in when I was, when I was um performing it. Um I would say the experience from the audience, from, from the feedback I received, was that they actually felt they were in a theater for the first time, like, since pandemic. Oh, that's lovely. So It was so lovely to hear. I was like, okay, I did my job, right? Yeah. I think because I understood that I, I needed to speak to humans and not just to this, like, empty digital nothing space probably helped with that feeling of connectivity. Um, but for me you know, there there was a character missing because I don't have that in the moment feedback. I don't have that like, um, yeah, I mean, that's it, right? Yeah. Like I don't have the laughs necessarily. I don't have the like energy coming back at me to work off of. So yeah. it was a very specific experience and weird in that, you know, we, we filmed a couple of rehearsals but I really just had the one show And so I, so it's all this work and all this energy and all this passion and heart and like blood, sweat and tears for essentially one performance. And then it's like, you don't have a run. So it's like, it's all of a sudden like over. And I'm just, you know, I, 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 it took me a while to come
0: off of that. What about when the the world's least favorite C word goes away. Cause I know in Los Angeles, it's been really brutal over there and it's really affected theater and also in New York as well over the other side of the country. Yeah. And even, even here theaters are just starting to reopen and there's limited capacity and stuff, but what about when it goes away? Will you be touring with it? What's next for marrying Jake Gyllenhaal?
1: My hope is to, to, to have a proper live run of it. Yeah. Like, it would be my dream to have a new york city run in a in a in a good theater um you know with like supportive producing partners um it would be awesome to take it to the uk you know to like um you know follow a little bit of like phoebe wallerbridge's turn trajectory with her yeah. run like at the soho theater i'm i'm less familiar with the um venues in the uk that would be like appropriate for this type of show yeah but that you know that would be gosh like a delight and the biggest gift to to have that experience um so 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 yeah my hope has been like with the success with this edinburgh run that that could maybe help um people get excited about help them produce it in the yeah. flesh.
0: In 2022 there's going to be yeah. a, in 2022 hopefully there's going to be more back to normal as it were
1: Right, exactly.
0: Yeah. Where can people find out more about you and the show online?
1: Yeah, so um, you can always check out my information on my personal website, which is my name, melissacenter.com. Uh, um, the show itself, uh, marryingjakegillenhall.com leads to tickets for the run, which is available through the 30th on demand. Um, there's also like a separate website for the show, marryingjakegillenhall the play um, which also then links out to my Edinburgh um, tickets, <clears throat> and then on Instagram and Twitter, I'm at Melissa Center, and that's C E N T E R, not the. Not yes, the I was spelling. I was yeah. going to
0: say in the because I went to Google you and find out a little bit about about you before the interview, and it kept on going C E N T R E, and I'm like, if I if 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 she saw you doing that Google, she would be offended.
1: So get the offended. lady's no. name
0: correctly google
1: yeah actually one of my reviews um had re and i like it made me chuckle i was like i i, I get it that's that's a, not the proper spelling but that's okay yeah.
0: <laughs> it's like theater like when you google theater exactly. it's t yeah is it t-r-e over here and t-e-r over there t-e-r over here T-R yeah over there. So it means it's but t-r-e like, over here
1: Tomato, tomato, right?
0: Yeah, close enough. they will find you. Melissa, yeah. this was so much fun chatting to you. Thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time.
0: It was my absolute pleasure. Marrying Jake Gyllenhaal is available online at The Space UK for you to watch any single time you would like from the 6th of August. Can I stop asking you your name and what you do, please?
2: I am Crystal Skillman. I am a writer, um, mostly of plays and film and comics um, and podcasts. And I am um, calling in from Key West, but I am a Brooklynite.
0: Hello. Hello to Key West. How are you this morning?
2: (laughs) Very good. Very good. Uh, The sun is very bright here and very hot and very shining.
0: (laughs) See, I wish I could say the same, but it's been between gray and murky and blue skies all day, so I don't. Yeah, it's not very nice outside at the moment, but that's summer in Scotland. It's, it's what we get.
2: Oh, I can't wait to be out there uh, personally soon as well.
0: Let's talk about your story at the Fringe. It is called Open. What is Open? Tell us a little bit about it.
2: Open is, um, uh, you know, uh, an hour play, um, a solo uh, play uh, that is a magic act without magic um, in which a magician is telling us stories of her lover, uh, Jenny. Jenny. And as we're in the middle of this magic act and she is pantomiming tricks and asking us to see the magic, um, the more we see it, the more it will appear, uh, that does start to happen. And the more that the audience is invested, the more they become rewarded by the stories of her and her lover. And then there is a reveal in the play that she believes that the audience can help her help Jenny, who is uh, currently in the hospital from a, suffering from a hate crime attack the night before. So it has this very, very interesting um theatrical way of of using the audience uh i'm very inspired by fleabag um and (laughs) and phoebe and i love her work very much um and uh but i'd written this actually before i read some of her interviews about how she uh does so many tests with the audience and i thought oh that's so interesting because that's what we did with open uh there was definitely a moment that i panicked and uh you know, someone was like early in its development was like, ah, maybe we see the magic. and I was like, gosh, maybe we do see the magic. Maybe that's really important. And I started to write it. I was like, oh, this feels a little like a clown show, not in the way that I it, it's supposed to be. This is, uh, it's very funny, but it's meaningful. And uh, not that clown shows aren't, but like in this particular way that I was doing it. And I had just shared it with a magician. Now, when open is ever done, this is the original New York team that you'll be seeing on the uh, digital offering. Um, But whenever other teams have done it, um, there's always a magician consult. And so my magician consult on this New York production was my high school friend uh, who uh, works magic in Vegas. And he had just gotten the script without the magic. And uh, I got on the phone with him. I'm like, did you read it? I'm thinking of putting the magic in. And he goes, don't you dare show us the magic. And I was like, well, if a magician tells you not to show the magic, you know, something's working. And that's part of the beauty of the piece is um, is really the power of the imagination and how if we imagine, if we can imagine um, any relationship or any um, experience outside of ourselves, then we are connected to it. And if we're connected to it, then it's all humanity. And so I really wanted to use this to uh, express love as love, um, love can triumph over hate and, that, uh, and these powerful things. The character, the magician actually came to me um, right after Trump was elected. And I, I think it kind of got me through this time actually.
0: Is that when the story started coming together or did you have the idea before he came into office?
2: I had it. I had actually um, uh, like a little a little bit, but it really became fervent and kind of really clear. And I would say that the magician almost I, I, I have written many plays. Rain and Zoe Save the World is one. There may be some news about that in the UK that I can't um, uh, uh, share yet, um, which is about two teenage climate activists that still motorcycle and go cross country. Uh, to shut down a pipeline in America but you know I so characters speak to me for sure like I think for any writer they do but this was different because when the magician appeared it was like in this black space it was this voice it was very ethereal it was very um and I realized this is a woman who hears this voice in her head not unlike me who's a YA writer so that's so uh, Kristen Green has the persona of the magician to get through this and tries to coach Jenny um, to get through it as well and us, the audience. And so I guess what happened was when Trump got elected, it, the, the, first of all, the conversations changed in a way like there is, um, there are hate crimes all the time, but you know, we don't, you know, we were getting lax. And so if I was talking to a producer, maybe that didn't touch their world. They didn't really know like, wow, is this still relevant? I'm like, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it is and then all of a sudden trump um set forth uh any for any american artist an understanding of the stakes and an understanding of um some of these things that we're being writing about that are sadly timely but timeless so i think that focus on the play that urgency to get this message out um and because of the tricks of the play <laughs> um it is a play that i hope can be seen in red and blue sedates um uh and uh, in america and anywhere where someone might have a different point of view because it really reaches you.
0: I'd like to ask a little bit about putting the play on. Was it written with an audience in mind? Has it been performed for an audience? And how has the show changed from a live version to the recorded version?
2: Yes, um, that's a great question. Um, the uh, live version was a, 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 a in filmed, So the play was filmed live um, in the tank, at the Tank Theater in Midtown, New York. Um, it's a really cool old black box. We, we picked it specifically for its look originally. It almost has like an old LA theater look. It's got a, a slope down and, and in, you'll see it in the, in the digital offering. It, it, I am, uh, my career is kind of a, as a playwright, um, I'm actually reaching more people, I think through my podcasts until now with these digital offerings. Um, I write uh, King Kirby, um, which is on Broadway Podcast Network and uh, a podcast based on this. But to come back to this, Um, uh, I have only been performed in a showcase code my whole life. So that means that I only get 16 performances. And then there becomes that moment where like, are we gonna extend, are we gonna do something? This was such a powerful show. We got in this rave in the times, um, you know, which is, you know, relative, is that real? But in this case, I believe the show has great magic. We're getting this great response. It was really touching people. And so I had never done this before. Um, I said, we need to film this. And um, I called up my friend, Crystal Arnett and uh, she's a great film company. It was beyond my expectations. Um, she came in with three cameras. We had rehearsed. We did it live in front of the audience, so that you were able to zoom in and be a part of the magician's experience in a way. I love the live experience, but because of these close-ups and these beautiful work that the film did, it really ended up being an extraordinary experience. In fact, Broadway HD is interested in the film in the long run, um, when things uh, straighten out with actors' equity in the future. So. It's um, it's a really powerful piece on film uh, in terms of working with audience. Yes, we did several developmental uh, workshops, and a lot of that was about the magic and how much you see. We actually found the secret was sound is uh, is key, because if you're being rewarded and you hear the ball and then you throw it. And we actually got it to where, you know, there's a moment where she catches these balls and she says, what color an audience uses a color then the lighting fills in the color, but you still don't see anything exactly. So it really allows you to to participate with your imagination. And then she says, you, and Megan won't throw that ball until your, your hand's up. And when your hand's up and she, she'll wait, you know, and then she'll throw it, person knows because they put their hand up to catch it and they get a sound. So all of that was meticulously worked out. So the audience really, there's actually a moment too where someone has to hold a cage uh, with a bird in it and she keeps checking in on them. And then when we hear the sound effect of the opening, I mean, the audience member, you should see their face because they're like, whoa, you know. <laughs> um, and in the case, we caught it on this one too. The audience member, she's like, did you crush it? Oh my gosh, did you crush the bird? And she's like, no. Like the audience member is like so protective of this imaginary thing that is no longer imaginary because she's holding it.
0: That's the fantastic thing about theater and live theater. And it becomes theater of the mind, even though you're watching literal theater in front of you. Was it difficult over the last year and a half, not really having live audiences?
2: Really, really hard. And I was quite um, lucky in that um, because of my work in comic books, I've written for Marvel and Adventure Time, because of the uh, the film stuff I had already kind of started uh, and the TV show I was working on, um, I was able to throw myself into those works. It was a little easier for writers because writers could still create and see the show, um, with my musicals I'm on a few musicals as a book writer honestly we were very sad but we kind of didn't notice <laughs> because musicals take a long time <laughs> like okay. all right another couple of years here we go let's just keep developing <laughs> like so you know every almost every medium I was in had a different response but um, and I actually had to stay away from writing plays for a little bit because it made me way too sad the first I had a 29 hour reading that we shared live on zoom and it was really great and I was not prepared though Peter for the experience of bye and then yeah. and i just started crying because i've never i'm used to getting up from my seat i'm used to passing people in the lobby and them grabbing my arm even if it's weird even if they didn't like the show i made me miss things that even if someone didn't like the show i, I want to avoid avoid her you, you you felt like that and later on they call you it, was, it wasn't weird i just had to go meet my boyfriend or something you know you're like oh okay um uh I missed it, Peter. I miss it. and I still miss it very, very much. Um, I think one of the futures we're seeing is what Edinburgh is doing, and I hear this happening in Minneapolis, Camden. I think is doing it too, where it's a hybrid of um, online and socially distant, or keeping into account um, doing theater in this time live.
0: Yeah, it's been so interesting. I've been to a few shows up in Edinburgh, and. Okay. The shows seem, and I don't mean this in any derogatory way at all, but they seem smaller, but there's massive demand for them. Like so many shows are selling out, uh, but the rooms aren't at full capacity. Like there's seats of four, then a massive space, then another bank of four and so on. And then some shows are performing outside. It's really different this year, but the important thing to remember is that at least there is a fringe this year. At least it is happening, which is incredible.
2: It's really incredible. And I think this kind of, you know, one of the first things I wrote on my wall when the pandemic happened, is I said, the future is in the hand of writers. Yeah. And I just think also too, because, you know, we know how precious we are. We know we have to protect our journalists. We know that they're at risk around the world. We know there's a lot of things happening internationally and a lot of problems in America um, Mm, that are just, 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 you know, consistent. And, um, uh, so what is the truth? How do we get out the truth? And sometimes, in most cases, a story can be um, just as true. And so these, these works we're doing are so important. And I'm very excited for Broadway coming back and they're being incredibly conscientious, which was wonderful, but an audience may not be ready exactly yet to sit right next to someone. You know, you need this interim time where the socially distant component, I think in the actual physical audience is really helpful and healing to the audience itself. So I think it's a really good, like you said, I think it's a really good step um, and a very responsible one too.
0: I would agree with that. I think it's absolutely right because I've had double my double shots, I'm fully vaccinated and me too. fantastic. And there everyone's wearing masks and we're all distance as we can, but even then I was still a bit like, "Ooh, there are humans here. Can you yeah, get away from me?" So it is kind of nerve-wracking a little bit, but the desire to want to see things and the desire to want to be out there again is very human, I think. And that's what I think has been a big part of this fringe is people just wanting it to feel like it was before.
2: Yes, and that connection and how we can connect and maybe it's not always in person like we used to do, but there can be a mix, but we do need in person and we do need these these moments. And, uh, you know, it affects us. I'm sure this happened to you too, Peter. Like I, I ran into someone at Lincoln Center, um, Alana Becker, who's running these great concerts at, at Lincoln Center on the Green. They put out this big AstroTurf in front of the um, uh, fountains, and it's really cool. And I was there to see my my friend Maya Sharp play with my friend Lauren Elder. They're two musical theater folks um, and great musicians. Um, and she had not seen me physically, and she just started weeping, you know, like, because it it's just a, every time you're seeing someone come out of the Zoom <laughs> and into yeah. your life, you know, it's a really emotional experience. and. Um, this is such a tough time and I'm, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's not the easiest road yet ahead, but I would say that, um, it's giving us some kind of introspection that is quite powerful.
0: Yeah. And definitely something to look forward to look into the future to when things will be as they were before.
2: Yes. And as you you said already, the demand for theater is so high and appreciated, you know, and, and, uh, I would say in the UK, you know, um, uh, theater always has been much more than America, you know, I didn't even realize that as an American when I started out, I used to be like, could you come see my show? Oh, you know, and I'll buy you a beer. You know what? You don't even have to get the ticket, you know? Oh, I'll, I'll take you there. Like I was always apologizing for theater. Cause I just, you know, it's, I'm just not as used to uh, the arts are part of my life, but it's not something, it's not, I can't guarantee if I run into someone on the street that it's a part of their lives. And yeah. I, I do think it's important in this country to, to really um, keep, keep stepping that up and uh but uh you know even so for us here i i think it's really interesting to see american audiences talk about this and missing it and um you know maybe they're the same people that loved it maybe we'll get some new people but I'm, i'm hopeful that as an art form this is really seen internationally in a new way in a new light um and i'm sure there's a different relationship to it for every country and every every audience um it's ritual. You know, I think maybe yeah. people are, are realizing that with the loss of ritual and the loss of connection, it's life is just not as rich.
0: Yeah, it's just so again, going back to saying it's human, it's human to want to sit and be told stories and listen to each other talk. That's in our DNA.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: We've gone completely off topic from your show, by the way. I apologize profusely for that. I want to ask a little bit about the show after the fringe. What's next for it?
2: Well, I have some good news. Um, the uh, part of uh, our excitement with this is that we wanted to show it to a new audience. We wanted to get some UK reviews. We wanted to, to begin that relationship. And um, Je- the director Jesse D Hill, uh, Megan Hill, the actor who's incredible in this piece, and myself are, are very close. And we, you know, we developed it for around between three and five years. So, you know, this was a play that I was not really on my own with for a long period of time. We kind of formed and. And we're workshopping it for, for a long time to get what you see today. So now we're thinking about um, the the excitement from this. Um, basically, there's some interest from regional theaters. So we're going to go out with a package for this actual um, production. So we're hoping that you'll see um, the piece. We um, also UK, you know. So we're hoping to bring this back live. This particular version for, to as many theaters as we can. And uh, and Jesse, Megan, and I are committed to that. Um and in the meanwhile the production is uh the play can be read. It's with Dramatis Play Service and um the what was I gonna say? Uh there's actually a production opening in Tampa um okay. in the in the fall. Yeah.
0: That's very exciting. It's it's going everywhere.
2: It is, it's already been in many um there are different versions that have been in Minneapolis, New Mexico, um a few other places. Oh, Louisiana. Um so it's been really uh really interesting. Um, It's also been interesting, when there are digital offerings, what choices people made with that. Some were Zoomed live. One was in a bedroom, in which case the only other person with her was a stage manager. That was a Parody Claw's production. In Louisiana, their production was, um, the magician was on the stage. There was an audience, but they do reveal at some point that that there's no one in that audience interesting so that, that, sounds, was, that was startling yeah.
0: as well <laughs> yeah i can imagine where can people find out more about you and the show online
2: yes um i'm crystal skillman everywhere on every media um and then you can um, go to my website crystalskillman.com and um you just click on creations and it'll lead you to to open we have our own page so that would be crystalskillman backslash open uh, uh dot com. and uh yes and in terms of following this particular piece uh we have our own socials at at open the play um on instagram and at open the play as well on twitter although there's a little open uh little what's the underscore (laughs) is it an
0: underscore like like open then yeah open underscore
2: underscore the play at twitter but um very findable um please come follow us and and join the journey um and we're just we're really honored and we have been loving um all the uh, offerings in the fringe um uh this happened because my friend Talala, Talalik, um, with his um, his piece, uh, the revolution um, of Evelyn, um, which is happening right now, he's going till the end. Um, and um, Melissa's play um, about marrying um, Jake Gyllenhaal, yes, <laughs> which is great. They both um, had jumped in and uh, and said, "Let's do the Can can you do this? And it took me. I was like the. The running behind them a little bit trying to figure it all out, but um I jumped in as well. So it's really been uh, friends got me into this. Uh, Americans have had fun um, all connecting each other like Jessica Shears show, the Betty Davis show. Um, so it's been pretty neat, but then we've gotten to know all these other shows and all these other companies. I didn't even realize also the Camden fringe is going on at the same time. So it feels um, super connective. Um, yeah, and I can't wait to get over there. We'll be over sees much more next year and i can't wait
0: (laughs) i hope so as well thank you so much for your time today it was really great to speak to you
2: you too peter thank you so much
0: you can watch open on demand anytime you would like via the fringe player from the 16th of august can i stop asking your name and what you do please
3: so my name is mabel thomas i'm an actor and a writer and i've got a show at the fringe this year
0: how are you today mabel are you well
3: i'm doing well thanks yeah
0: let's talk a little bit about the show it is called sugar tell us about it what is what is sugar
3: so basically it's like a coming of age story that explores what it's like to grow up as an ambitious female in the world right now um i think it's interesting because like i feel like men get a lot of movies like for for example wolf of wall street and like other movies where the character is kind of an anti-hero, not super, I don't know, sympathetic. Um, and people don't really question why the, those people do what they do, because obviously they just do it like to get power, to get money. But as soon as a woman does something like that, I think a lot more questions arise. So I kind of wanted to explore just what happens when there's a really ambitious girl growing up in the modern day.
0: That's such an interesting question and a really good thing to think about, because as you said, like movies like Wolf of Wall Street and even Wall Street, the original movie, which isn't a super yeah. to Wolf of Wall Street, but Wall Street mm-hmm. is just men being powerful and swinging it around. But when women try to do it, there is no, no easy way for them.
3: Exactly. Yeah.
0: So tell us a little bit about the show. What, what happens in it? As much as you can without Um, spoiling it.
3: (laughs) Definitely. So basically we start in May. The main character is um, eight years old. She's on the playground and there's a race, which is really important, obviously. Um, And before, right as she's about to start the race, this boy that she's racing against kisses her, cheating And he ends up winning the race, which obviously is unacceptable. So then she embarks on this kind of revenge plot where she has to get him back to prove that she should have won all along. Um, And then we kind of see that scenario repeated in different ways with different outcomes throughout the show. Um, It ranges from when she's eight to when she's 18, and she progressively does kind of more morally questionable things as the show progresses like she um ends up breaking into a test to get test breaking into a cabinet to get test answers for um a math test and then eventually she ends up kind of embarking on this mission of becoming a sugar baby and trying to like get money and get power in that way and we see what happens when She takes the principles that she employed when she was younger, like revenge and manipulating people and stuff. And she tries them out kind of in the grown up world.
0: And I'm guessing that doesn't work out too well. To say the least. Yeah,
3: I don't know, maybe, yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How did the show come together? Tell us about the show's origin story.
3: Um, Well, basically, so I just graduated from drama school in June, and as an American living in the UK, I really wanted to kickstart my career here, but I wasn't able to get acting work because of the visa I was on. There was a whole situation, um, and everyone always says, like, create your own work, do your own stuff, so I started writing the show a, a couple months ago, um... And I contacted a dramaturg from London, Aisha Josiah, um, and she helped me really get the story into order and talked me through what the fringe was all about, kind of. And then, yeah, I just, I wrote it and then I was really worried about COVID because obviously the government regulations about social distancing and stuff were still really tentative, close to the fringe. So I decided to do it online. So Obviously I went to a school that also had a filmmaker course. So a few of my best friends are filmmakers. So we kind of, I collaborated with them and then I created the final product.
0: How did the show change from being what would be a, th- a piece in front of people to being a recorded product? What was that process like?
3: Well, so I did, I wrote it with the intention of performing it live. Um, the biggest I mean, the change I was most sad about was I had to cut a lot of the fun musical transitions with, like, top hits from, like, the early 2000s, which were total bots.
0: That would have been fun.
3: Yeah, the licensing for, like, performing music online is kind of really difficult to do and, like, more expensive than using it in theater shows. And also, like, you don't really need transition music when you can just do that with an edit or a cut. Yeah. Um, But like the show was written as an extended monologue. So there weren't too many drastic changes I had to make to like the actual writing and stuff. Cause it's the words that take the audience on a journey as opposed to like taking them to actual locations on a film set.
0: If you could have done it live, I assume you would have had breaks for like audience laughter and audience reactions. What was it like losing them was it painful to be like oh no there's not going to be an audience
3: yeah it was because uh oh, the best thing is just when you can get a laugh out of people and when you kind of you get the you get so much energy from a live audience and stuff and you really don't have that when you're filming because even the crew like they're not there to watch you they're there to do yeah. their jobs the hold the boom to record your sound and they're listening to the sound not like how you're performing it so I was really bummed that I lost out on that cool like the audience reactions and stuff um but I'm hoping to be able to perform it live at some point so hopefully I'll get I'll get that sometime
0: 2022 fringe hopefully
3: exactly yeah
0: (laughs) what was the process of finding out about the fringe and what made you want to enter it this year
3: well, my mom is also an actor and she took a f- show to the fringe in, I think it was 2012 and then another one in 2014. So I kind of, I, I visited her during the fringe and I knew a bit about it. And then I went to school here in Glasgow. So obviously like it's a giant deal in Scotland. So just hearing about it um, and then just being inspired by Um, different fringe pieces that kind of have launched careers like obviously Fleabag um, Good Girl by Naomi Sheldon um, were a few like standout one woman shows that I thought I could try to kind of emulate but put my spin on Um, yeah and I just thought it would be a great jumping off point to start my career because obviously I'm not super established right now and anyone can participate so that's really cool
0: and what's been the best thing about putting the show together? What have you, I don't want to say what have you learned because that sounds patronizing, but what have you discovered about yourself as a performer and a writer?
3: Um, I, I, coming into this, I thought I was going to do it all by myself. I was like, I can easily just write it, get film, it maybe use a tripod, whatever. But it does make me realize just how many people Participate in like putting these things together, and I've gotten to work with some incredible people. So I think just meeting other people, collaborating, even though it's a one-woman show, like collaborating with the filmmakers, um, the the dramaturg, everyone getting feedback from my friends and stuff, just like getting to work with other people. Because obviously during the pandemic, that was really hard. So getting to connect with other people was probably my favorite experience and the piece that I learned the most from.
0: And now it is recorded. You can take it anywhere, put it anywhere. What are the plans for After the Fringe? Do you have any yet?
3: Um, I Right now I'm just submitting to like a bunch of venues, seeing if anyone's interested in having me um, put it on. And then, yeah, if if anyone's interested, obviously it'll be like, Funding and marketing and whatnot. I don't know. I've this is the first show I've done, so I've never done a show at like a proper theater. Um, but yeah, so it's really handy to just have a copy to send out and be like, "Hey, this is the recorded show. Obviously, it would be live, but something like this. Are you interested?" So that's what I'm up to at the moment.
0: I want to ask a little bit, and maybe this is going back a little bit in the conversation. Have you encountered what the play is about, like? As we said, men come in and swing it around and they're, they're let go with it. But women are always questioned. Have you encountered that, putting the show together?
3: Um, not really. I think I've, I'm surrounded with some really great, supportive people. I haven't really had to deal with that in the creation of the show because like, I got to pick everyone I collaborated with. So obviously I'm not going to pick someone who's, is going to be acting like that um, Yeah, in, in real life. Yeah. I think every woman has experienced stuff like that, um, but no, with the actual production of the show, I've been very, very lucky.
0: That is very cool to hear. And it's kind of a, again, a bit of a spoiler question, but do you have a favorite segment of the show? Something that you really look forward to putting on when, you, when it was being filmed?
3: Uh, I mean, I, I do like every segment of the show, so it's divided into six scenes and I like every scene for a different reason. Um, the first scene is really fun because like being eight is so fun because you have no worries when you're eight, except for like, yeah, who's beating you at races on the playground and stuff. So the energy in that is always really fun. Um, and I love being able to go from that and really leaning into like the humor and the fun stuff to the less fun stuff at the end. It's a it's a fun acting exercise. Um, so I also like the final scene for that reason. Yeah.
0: Where can people find out more about you and about the show online?
3: So I have a Twitter page, an Instagram page and a Facebook page, and they're all under Sugar Fringe 2021. And then on Twitter, I think it's sugar.fringe2021. And then obviously the Fringe box office site has links to all of those pages.
0: Thank you so much for your time today. It was really great to speak to you.
3: Thank you so much, Peter. This was great.
0: Sugar is available to watch online at the Space UK on demand from the 6th of August for you to watch anytime you'd like.